Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A very good evening to you just after 6pm on VOC 91.3. Shukran so much for joining us. Please stay with us for the next hour. We will break for the waqt of Maghrib, inshallah, at uh, 18.23. Maghrib for this evening is 18.29 and we'll go right up until 7 o'clock, inshallah. We um, unfortunately do not wish to encourage you to send your SMSs and unless you're willing to wait just for, uh, for a little bit uh, of a few few weeks as we have quite a backlog of questions to deal with in this questions and answer forum. Um, once again we reiterate to all those that have sent through their questions weeks ago uh, we are still dealing with those uh, that we've received in the month of Ramadan but Alhamdulillah we will be getting to your questions if you send it we will deal with it um, Alhamdulillah we have once again Sheikh Ibrahim Wa Shukran Sheikh for availing yourself and being here today Jazakumullah, assalamu alaikum rahmatullah to you Sister Hawa and to our listeners uh, of the Voice of the Cape Alright, so let's get into the question, Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. My husband is diabetic and fast every day, but this morning his sugar level was 20. So high after the adhan went, uh, uh, went off, he had to insulate, uh, he had some insulin, and his fast, is his fast valid? He is still fasting. <laughs> yeah, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah, salatu wassalamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Of course, uh, people that have uh, diabetes, first of all, and the doctor advises them, especially Muslim doctors that know the uh, sacred uh, nature of fasting, etc., and they are being advised not to fast because it's going to affect their health, they should probably be listening to the doctor. Because uh, Islam doesn't want us to put ourselves in difficulty or to cause harm to our bodies, etc. Okay, so especially if it is a danger, uh, a dangerous level of of, of 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 diabetes, and the doctor says, "Look, you cannot fast because it's going to lead to so many complications in your organs, etc." Then the person should abide by the advice of the doctor and not fast, and just give a fidya for each day if he's not able to fast or she's not able to fast at all. But in this case, the person was fasting. Okay, so they're obviously maybe not following the doctor's advice. So the sugar level went very high. And then they took some insulin. So now they want to know if the fasting is still valid after having taken the insulin. Uh, insulin. Of course, it will be valid if you uh, inject it yourself through your veins with the insulin. That will not break your fast. Any form of injections that is applied to the body through a vein does not invalidate the fast. The fast will still be intact. So you could have fasted on. Uh, obviously the month of Ramadan is finished now But hopefully I don't know what you did at that time But you could have fasted on There was no need for you to break your fast uh, From a Sharia point of view There was nothing wrong But of course like I said From a medical point of view You should have followed the instructions of the doctor If there was any And not, not put yourself under unnecessary, unnecessarily uh, duress and, and difficulty uh, Allah doesn't want that And doesn't expect that from us But as for the question Your fast would be valid If it was um, administered through an injection that would not invalidate the fast. Okay, because she does say he, he is still fasting, but yeah, he so fell ill fast, before. <laughs> so his fast would have been correct if, okay. he, if he continued fasting. Yeah. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Why is it such a problem with the majority of men? Our men are either absentee fathers, literally, or just not present as leaders in the home or in the deen. And otherwise, big question. <laughs> yeah, of course, it's a million dollar question. Ooh. I mean, why are they not doing their duties and why are they not fulfilling their responsibilities? Uh, unfortunately, that is the case in many homes where our fathers and our uh, husbands are not, not taking the leading role and for, as 
far as as deen or as far as morals or as far as good character or as far as whatever righteousness is concerned we find that they are not taking that leading role and of course that is very sad because the, the, the husband is supposed to assume that duty and responsibility because in every household there must be a head there must be someone that takes the lead there must be somebody who sets the pattern for what is going to happen in that house now obviously uh, husbands who do not carry out their responsibilities it is a grave sin that they are doing they are obviously uh, displeasing allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by not fulfilling their duties especially if they are not uh, present uh, this question refers to absentee fathers that are not even present mm-hmm. this is all wrong it shouldn't be i mean a father is supposed to be there for his children now you can imagine what kind of vicious cycle this will create mm-hmm. so that child growing up without a father or growing up with a father but the father does not assume any responsibilities for anything now you can imagine what you are creating yourself as a father you are creating another generation of 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 of, of grown-ups and adults that will emerge that will do the same thing to their spouses or to their children and it will carry on so it's very important that our fathers and our husbands assume their duties and responsibilities and not neglect it in any way uh, because after all they will be held accountable by Allah Ta'ala on the day of judgment uh, Allah says in the Quran Oh, you believe, save yourselves and save your family from the fire of Jahannam. And also the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says in a hadith that is well known to all of us, Every person is like a shepherd and he will definitely be questioned uh, about his herd that he had to look after. Allah Ta'ala will definitely ask him what he did as far as uh, they are concerned. Did he fulfill his duties or not so we obviously want to encourage our husbands our fathers not to neglect their duties in any way and to try the level best to set good examples and good role models for their children and for their wives and just bear one thing in mind whatever you do today you are going to see the same thing happen a few years down the line you'll see your children following exactly the same pattern if you set a good example inshallah you'll see hopefully your children will, will, will also turn out the same otherwise you will just be creating another cycle of people that will be irresponsible and that will be non-caring and non-present etc so we hope inshallah our husbands will take lesson from that and actually carry out the duties that is that are expected from them Okay. Um, Sheikh, my husband is not able to fast due to illness. He gives fidya for the month. Must he give fitra as well? Shukran. Yeah, of course, the fidya and the fitra are two separate uh, obligations. The fitra is on account of not being able to fast. And the fitra is at the end of the month to show some solidarity with our poor people. That at least you give them something to eat on the day of Eid. So it is two totally separate uh, duties and responsibilities so the person has to give the fitya for the entire month as well as the fitra uh, and at the same time uh, just to say that the fitra is uh, obviously like I said for the for the fasting people uh, for the fitra is for the poor people who cannot afford something on the day of Eid to at least show care to them and show that we, we, we want them also to be to be happy on that day and to be joyous and to have something on the table etc so the, 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 the last point is if the person is unable to pay the fitra or the fitra then that is something else and obviously he himself is deservant of receiving fitra instead of giving fitra fitra is obviously only paid by someone who can afford it or has the ability to do it if he cannot he cannot afford it then he doesn't have to worry he may possibly be eligible to receive rather than to give the fitra but yes he has to pay fitra and fidya if he can afford them
Shukran. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Can I use my interest as fitra or fidya, or can I just give it to someone in need of assistance as a sadaqa or just as a gift, even if she is Muslim? Shukran. Yeah, unfortunately, none of the above. You're not able to give your fitra, not your fidya. You're not going to consider it a sadaqa or anything like that. It is money that you need to get rid of. It is money that is impure. It is money that has been accumulated in a way that is not halal. So that money must be gotten rid of. And the way that we get rid of it is that we give it to either an organization or we can give it to a poor person if you feel that they deserve. Even if they are Muslim, we can do that because the money basically must go to the coffers of the, the general public or it must go into the interest of the general public. Okay, It's like money that is, uh, for example, um, uh, that was found. And we don't know whose it is, for example. And the state, let's say the state assumes ownership of that money, then that money will be spent, of course, in a way that the state feels is 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 suitable. So in the same way, the, the riba money or, or uh, interest money should not be used in any way. So even if we give it to a poor person, which is allowed, if we give it to a poor person, we must not think of it as if it is a sadaqa that will be rewardable because mm. there is no status of sadaqa attached to such a gift that is given to a person okay but the important thing is we must get rid of it and it must be given in whatever way will serve public interest we can give it to schools we can give it to the building of toilets we can for roads for any uh, public projects no problem we can give it to, you know, to all those avenues it will be ex- acceptable inshallah inshallah shukran uh, for that answer sheikh let's uh, take a short break and when we come back we answer more of your questions on 47913 back in a moment the voice of the cape 91.3 FM Stereo Assalamu alaikum Welcome back This is Questions and Answers Shukran so much for sending your questions uh, You may continue to do so um, If patience allows you to wait a few weeks uh, To have it answered Because uh, that's the, the, the pace we are at uh, Fortunately or unfortunately um, The Maghrib happens to fall sp- uh, Right bang in the middle Of the show So we have to sacrifice at least uh, 30 to 20 minutes of this program um, To um, do our as we continue with your SMSs that we've received a few weeks back, um, and inshallah, um, please do, if you've not specifically asked the question, please, if you know somebody that needs an answer to this question, please uh, reiterate to them that the question has been answered and maybe inshallah um, convey the answer as well. Salam, uh, can we hunt springbok? I think it's kudu, it's also mentioned because he's written kubu, mm. but shooting it with a hunting rifle and then slaughter after making korban. Shukran. Yeah, there are specific rules pertaining to hunting and how we should go about uh, as far as these things are concerned. And in terms of hunting itself with a rifle and uh, with a shotgun, for example, whatever other uh, guns we have, uh, there are certain ulama, certain madahib that have allowed this, uh, equating it obviously to the bow and arrow and other methods of hunting that were used previously. Uh, But there are other rules that come into play that one needs to take into consideration. Uh, Firstly, if a person and shoots an animal while hunting and he finds that the animal is still alive after having shot the animal then it becomes compulsory upon him to actually go where the animal is and to slaughter the animal the way that we would slaughter an animal for korban or for akika purposes okay so the shooting will not be sufficient if the animal is still alive afterwards you will have to go um, uh, where the animal is and actually slaughter that animal to make it halal Okay. If on the other hand you shot the animal and the animal was dead straight away 
then according to those scholars who say you can use a rifle and you can use, like the Maliki scholars, for example, mm-hmm. I know prominently in the Maliki madhab, they allow this. Although other madhahib are not too prone to, to allow any form of ammunition and, and stuff like that, the Maliki madhab seem to be quite open to it. So they say that if you really have shot something and you find that the animal had died straight away, then that would also be allowed for you to eat because after all, that is that was your method of obviously killing the animal. And it must be done in a way that is humane as possible, uh, etc. Okay. Uh, then there's a number of other things which is interesting to note. That let's say uh, this is just what they bring up in the books of of law, so that we understand the, the depth of this question. Um, they say, for example, if an animal is shot, and that animal then, after having been shot, falls into a river or falls into water, then in such a case, in all circumstances, that animal will not be halal to eat. Simply because we won't know how the animal died. Did the animal die with a shot or did the animal actually die by drowning? So that will make the animal unlawful to eat. Similarly, if an animal is shot and the animal falls down a peak or falls down a mountain or a hill, Hmm. in that case also we won't be able to eat that animal because we are not sure how the animal died. Thirdly, if if an animal is shot, for example, and the animal gets away, Right, so he ran away afterwards. We didn't see he disappeared. Then later on, the same person who shot the animal saw the animal dead somewhere. Then, in such a case, also we cannot eat that animal simply because we are not hundred percent sure how that animal died. He could have died from the shot, which is most likely, but since it is not certain, he may have died through any other means, which is obviously unlawful in terms of killing an animal. So this is basically some of the rules. There are some other details that one can also share, but uh, just. Coming back to the actual question, yes, you have to slaughter the animal if the animal is still alive. After you've shot it, you must actually have a knife with you and uh, sever the windpipe and the food pipe and the veins uh, like you would do when you slaughter an animal for qurbani or for aqiqa purposes. That is what is required in order for the animal to become halal. Shukran, Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum. I'm Shafi and my wife too. We accidentally touch each other. Um, does our wudu break? Could you please explain the, explain the arousal with regards to this? Shukran. The Shafi'i madhab in this question of touching the opposite gender, uh, and your opposite gender would include your own wife as well. Um, the Shafi'i madhab is the strictest on this question, where they say that it would break the wudu unconditionally whether it is done with arousal or with desire or not, whether it was done intentionally or unintentionally, that does not matter. When skin on skin touches, right, bare skin on bare skin touches, then both parties' wudu will be invalid. And this is the view of Imam Shafi'i, and he takes it from the ayah of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Ma'idah, chapter 6, verse number 5, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when Allah Ta'ala mentions what are the things that break your wudu, one of the things that Allah mentions is, when you touch your women. When you touch your women. Imam Shafi'i takes that quite literally, if you touch them, skin on skin. Right, um, and in fact, he doesn't say your women. That was a wrong translation. Actually, when you touch women, any woman for that matter, then it breaks your hudu. So he takes it quite literally to say that it will break the hudu. Other madhahib, however, like the Hanafi madhab, the Hanafi madhab says that it will not break at all. There is no breaking of hudu between opposite genders if it is only skin on skin. Right, and the way that they would interpret this ayah is they would say that this ayah does not refer to touching skin on skin, but rather it refers to the actual intimate act between husband and wife. 
Okay, that is obviously something that would break the hudu and that would require you to take a ghusl, etc., etc. So the ayah is referring to that scenario. It is not referring to the scenario of just touching skin on skin. This is the view of the, the Hanafi madhab. For them, it will not break at all. Then we find, interestingly, the Maliki and the Hanbali madhab. Now, I'm giving all madhab so that we can at least see there is a, a kind of dynamic as far as this question is concerned. The Maliki and the Hanbali madhab has taken it sort of in between the two extremes, if you like, if, if you can call it that, uh, by saying that if you touched your spouse or any other woman for that matter that is of marriageable kind to you, if you've done so with desire and with arousal and with feelings, then your hudu is broken. On the other hand, if it was not done with desire, if it was done by mistake, for example, by, by error, just by walking past so it happened, then in this case, obviously, your hudu is not broken. So the whole thing revolves around whether there was desire or not. So this is the Maliki Madhab and the Hanbali Madhab. The Shafi'i Madhab and the Hanafi Madhab don't consider all of these things. In the Shafi'i Madhab, it breaks unconditionally. In the Hanafi Madhab, it does not break unconditionally. Okay, so for these two, uh, for the couple, they are both Shafi'i, and yes, if you are strictly following your Madhab, then you will have to take hudu each time that you touch each other, even if it is, even if it is by way of accident. But what we can say is, if it is a difficulty for you, and you really need to, um, you really need to keep your hudu because you, you can't take hudu every time you want to recite Quran, etc. You make taqlid. You can follow another Madhab. There's no problem at all. All these Madhab are correct. All of them follow the Quran and Sunnah, so you can't make taqlid to the madhab of Abu Hanifa or the madhab of Imam Malik that says the hudu will not be broken if there was no sexual arousal or if there was no desire in that touching. And Allah knows best. Shukran so much, Sheikh, for that detailed answer on, um, on the hudu. I appreciate it. Uh, let's just take a short break and we'll continue with your SMSs after this. Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape. The Voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Shukran so much for joining us back here on Questions and Answers. Um, we must reiterate that these are questions backlogged to the end of uh, July that we will be posing to Sheikh right now. So shukran uh, for all of those for their sabr and patience during the time of waiting for your answers. We have Sheikh Ibrahim Moers joining us once again. Again, answering your questions. Uh, Sheikh to move on. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. My daughter-in-law did not greet me for Eid for six years, but she makes my son greet her mother on Eid. What does Sheikh think about? Or she think he should do? Uh, Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim Well, I think he should do the right thing, and that is to tell his wife that what she's doing is wrong. Hmm. Uh, to be disrespectful to his mother uh, is not uh, is not on. It's not acceptable. Um, we, as husband and wife, we should always take the parents of our spouses as being our own parents, mm. and we should respect them as such. And uh, it's wrong. I mean, for six years not to go say slamat for Eid is something which is unacceptable. I mean, it's the, no matter what the differences are, or what this, uh, the, the quarrels were about, um, if if you don't greet your your mother-in-law and not have even the decency to say slamat to her, then there's a big problem like that. And I think the husband. He is the one that will play the role here to show, show to his wife that I'm not happy with this kind of thing, right? Mm. And although we never do, uh, we never have a scenario of tit for tat. I mean, we're not, he shouldn't say now, okay, now I'm not going to greet your mother again if you're not greeting my mother. Mm. We shouldn't have that kind of attitude also. But the point is, he must put his foot down. He must be quite firm with his wife and say, look, you need to sort this out. Uh, we cannot live like this. After all, it is my mother and mm. there's nothing that's going to change that. 
And just as much as you would like me to respect your mother, you must respect my mother. I mean, both sets of parents are both our parents. And we try our best to keep them happy and to keep them loved and to keep uh, the care for them, etc. Okay? So what I feel should be done here is that the husband should really play his role as a husband and not be manipulated by a wife that wants him to do a certain thing in a certain way. But he should do the right thing and say to his wife that, look, as much as I love you as my wife, I also love my mother dearly. She is, after all, the one that gave birth to me, and there is no way that we can disregard this. And, and I think he is able to set it straight. The husband, I think, has got that right. If he just sort of plays his cards right and he has the firmness that is required, with wisdom, of course, and with uh, good diplomacy, he's not. He doesn't have to be uh, abrupt or he doesn't have to be violent about it. But with diplomacy and good character, I'm sure he will able to to to. He will be able to be convincing about the fact that uh, his mother is equally important, just as her mother is important, and that is something that all daughters-in-laws and sons-in-laws must always remember. You're, just as much as you have a mother that you love, the other person also have their mother that they love, mm. and never overlook that because. It's it's natural that you will be attached to your mother It's natural that you will want to be close to her So even if there's problems And there often comes problems between in-laws and stuff like that mm. We must learn to deal with it Without showing disrespect We must learn to deal with it Without showing the discontent With what the mother-in-law is Or without bad-mouthing Without swearing without all the, and, and unfortunately I, 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 I'm, I'm in a position where sometimes I have to deal with these things mm. And unfortunately it's a very ugly thing When you have to hear how a daughter-in-law Swore at her mother-in-law for example Or how a son swore, son's, uh, son-in-law swore at his father-in-law for example I mean it's a very ugly thing I mean who would want to swear at his own parents for example and we take them as our own parents. So this is what we say, try your best to make, uh, to keep a good balance between your mother and your wife. Both of them have rights over you. Both of them obviously deserve your love and care. And you as a, as a, a son and as a husband have, have to play the proper role in making and putting things straight as far as this is concerned. Shukran, Sheikh. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. We are two children. I have an elder brother, abusive of drugs, unemployed, lives off my parents currently. My parents feel that they want to give their property to myself and my husband. Is this Islamically acceptable? Yeah, in terms of uh, signing of the property to you instead of you and your brother, if it is within their lifetime that they want to do this as a gift or uh, just as a transfer now already, then that is absolutely permissible because, of course, a person can do and dispose of his wealth the way that he wants and she wants. No one can tell someone else how they should go about in distributing their wealth. Okay, uh, so if they want to do that, it's no problem. Although the ideal is the Prophet ﷺ had obviously said that you shouldn't give preference of one child above the other, even in giving gifts for that matter. We should always try to be fair and equal. Uh, but in this case, if it is a son that is rebellious, a son that shows no care, a son that is not willing to uh, change his life, and etc., and the parents feel, look, it's going to be obviously a waste, or it's going to be a, a, a bad decision to put anything in his in his hand. Then they've got all the right to do this As long as it is within their lifetime mm. But in terms of inheritance They can't put it in their will They can't uh, make their will out to be like that Because then the will will be deemed as un-Islamic yes, Because they have to follow the rules of Islam In terms of where the will is concerned What I will say here is that If they strongly feel that the son Is not showing any responsibility And they want to really uh, 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 Sort of sign it over to the the daughter And to the son-in-law There's nothing wrong with that They can do that And they can maybe make another arrangement To take care of the son And to give something to the son In terms of helping him financially If 
finances. And in any case, somebody who's a drug abuser, you cannot give them lots of money, you cannot mm. give them things in their hands, because they will just simply get rid of it and buy drugs and, and dispose of it. Mm. Okay, So we have to take care of that and make sure that we do not empower them by taking more drugs or give them the ability to take more drugs, mm. but we should administer whatever funds come to, that, to them. But in this case, there will be nothing wrong if there is a reason such as this. Uh, in their lifetime, they want to do it, they have the right to do that. Shukran, with that answer, let's just take a short break and we'll continue with your questions after this after this break. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to this edition of Questions and Answers. I'm your host Khawa and uh, with me is Sheikh Ibrahim Wiz. We will be with you right up until um, 7 o'clock inshallah. Soon we will be breaking for the Waqt of Maghrib but let's continue uh, with our questions. Um, please note that these questions are, are backlog of questions we have received during the month of Ramadan but we will deal with your questions as they come through so these are still questions we, we have to answer. Salam, I was fasting at a around 12.15 in the day, I felt sick and started vomiting. Um, it was about three cups full. I carried on fasting. Do I have to pay it back, Sheikh? Shukran. Yeah, the general ruling with regards to uh, vomiting in the month of Ramadan or when a person is fasting is simply to look at the uh, fact that if, if a person vomited uh, without uh, a person's own doing in other words it was overwhelming or overpowering the vomit came without us doing anything then in such a case the fasting is still valid you continue with your fasting uh, even if it is three cups full or even more than that okay there's no problem uh, you continue fasting but if it is that you made yourself vomit and this can sometimes happen you feel nauseous and you want to whatever is in your stomach to come out so some people they stick their fingers down their throat whatever they do to make themselves vomit so if you make yourselves vomit then of course it will invalidate the fast the hadith of the prophet sallallahu is crystal clear as far as this is concerned the nabi sallallahu says مَنْ ذَرَعَهُ الْقَيْءُ وَهُوَ صَائِمٌ فَلَيْسَ عَلَيْهِ قَضَاءٌ وَمَنِ اسْتَقَاءَ فَلْيَقْضِهِ Crystal clear the Prophet says that if a person uh, is overcome by vomiting, then he should continue fasting. His fasting is not invalidated. But if, however, he makes himself vomit, then he has to give qada, he has to pay in the day that he has uh, broken his fast through vomiting. Okay, so that is the case here. If it was done without your or without your doing, you can continue fasting. You don't have to pay in another day. Shukran, Sheikh. All right, moving on to the next question. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Can Fidia be paid to a single female living on her own who only receives pension? Yeah, of course, she, she may receive fidya if she is a deserving uh, recipient of, of zakah and fitra, etc. And deserving here means that if she, if, she, if, she, if she gets a pension, but it is not enough for her to survive, she cannot really come out with that money, and which is most likely the case, especially if she is a female, single female living, and has to pay rent and food and all of that. So if, yes, she cannot come out with the, with the pension money and she is deserving for zakah, then she can also get fitra. There will be nothing wrong to give your fitra to that person and in fact it will be fitra or fidya for that matter it says fidya here uh, because they they deserve to get that fidya or the the fitra as long as they uh, are in that position where they deserve it so if it is a family member of yours i will actually have encouraged you to do that instead of taking it to an organization etc do personally then distribute your fitra in that way by helping your family members out who are in difficulty in this way uh, that would be more than acceptable it would be recommended inshallah to do it in that particular way 
Okay, the next question, Sheikh, I think it's around Tarawih. Do you recite Fatiha after the Imam? Okay. Yes, according to uh, the the madhab of Imam Shafi'i, you have to recite the Fatiha in each and every raka'ah of each and every salah, including Salatul Tarawih. Okay, so for each 20 raka'ahs that you are standing behind the Imam, you can either recite the Fatiha while he is reciting his Fatiha concurrently with him, that is permissible, or you can recite the Fatiha immediately after he finishes his Fatiha. And that is the, the usual way we do it. Once he's done his Fatiha, you as a follower then recite your Fatiha. It is recommended for the Imam, of course, to give a small break and a pause in between his Fatiha and the Surah for you to actually recite your Fatiha. Okay? Or to recite uh, slightly softer at the beginning of his recital so that you can at least recite your Fatiha. But it is uh, an obligation for us to recite the Fatiha in each and every raka'ah of each and every salah, whether it is a salah that we are doing alone, whether it is a salah that we are doing behind an imam, we have to recite the Fatiha in all salahs, whether it is an audible salah, a loud salah, such as Maghrib, Isha and Fajr, or whether it is a soft salah, such as Dhuhr and Asr, we have to perform the Fatiha. The hadith of the Prophet ﷺ states, لا صلاة لمن لم يقرأ بفاتحة الكتاب There shall be no salah for the person who does not recite the opening chapter of the book. And Imam Shafi'i has stated, this means that it is a rukun. A rukun means it's an integral part of the salah. Without that, there is no salah. You cannot rectify it in any other way, but to do it in the way that is required. So yes, the Fatiha has to be recited in each and every raka'ah. Uh, of course, with the Taraweeh, I just want to add, sometimes it may become difficult because, let's say, the, the portions that are recited after the Taraweeh are quite short. After the Fatiha, at least, are quite short. So maybe you don't have enough time to recite your Fatiha or it's too quick, etc., Okay, if that is the case, then the only way out here is, and if the Imam doesn't want to give that, that, that space for you to recite your Fatiha, which he should do, by the way, he should try to do that, to give you some space after his Fatiha so that you can recite yours. But if he doesn't do that and he recites relatively short after the Fatiha, where you are not able to catch up, then in such a case, you recite whatever you can, and that is fine, uh, because according to the Hanafi Madhab, which is uh, the other Madhab, uh, there we don't, uh, they don't require the Fatiha at all when you are standing behind. An imam because the imam is already reciting the Fatiha on your behalf. So in their madhab, it's much easier. You don't have to recite the Fatiha. You simply just follow the imam and he is doing it on your behalf. So if that is the case, then inshallah, you uh, you make taqlid according to the Hanafi madhab and that will be absolutely permissible. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay. Um, Sheikh, the next question is, I love my husband, but he is critical of everything of Islam. He does not care what he says. Like um, he would say, Kek of Allah and Afkum um Yota Yalp. I try to show Allah's power by fasting and salah. Nothing moves in him. If I quote Quran, he say, I do witchery. Do I make dua for him, Sheikh? Yes, absolutely. You make lots of dua for him in the middle of the night if you can. Because he is in need of your du'as and in, uh, of all our du'as. And we shall make du'a for him. And also we give him advice and you try to give him advice in a beautiful way. Get someone maybe to speak to him that he, that he respects or that he looks up to. Maybe he won't see it from you. But if you get someone that he is close to, one of his friends or one of his family members or a neighbor that you know that he will definitely uh, sort of take seriously. And you get maybe someone to speak to him to say that these kinds of statements that he makes and these kinds of remarks that he makes is, is not nice. It's not acceptable. It's not good to speak like this with regards to our deen and with regards to Islam, etc. But in your capacity as a wife, you may not be able to do anything more than uh, give good advice to him 
in a in a sincere way with wisdom with patience with love and with care and dua lots of dua make lots of dua for him and everything that people cannot change because i i sense here that you are saying nothing moves in him as if it's like the end of the road there's nothing that can happen never we should never be negative never think ne- that it can never happen okay it can still happen allah ta'ala is in control of the hearts not we right we we not, we are not in control of what happens and what does not happen we must just do our bit and the rest is on allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so for this wife please continue to make lots of dua for him continue to show good uh, character to him and show good give him good advice if you can so that he may realize the wrongs that he is doing and hopefully he will be guided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inshallah, may the Almighty give her lots and lots and lots of sabr. Amin, inshallah ta'ala. Can a Shafi taklid uh, to Hanafi wudu in certain instances for convenience, like handing children to husband and with the brushing of hands, um, the wudu would break? Can my husband dry my feet when I cannot bend to reach it, mashallah? Um, Sheikh, I think we've dealt with a question like this in a, in a similar program, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the madahib, we must understand they are all correct and they all follow Quran and Sunnah. And when we, uh, the only reason when we follow one madhab, it is to give some structure in what we are doing and consistency in what we are doing. Okay, what is important to note is that the madhab that we follow, it's not a prison that you are in, that you cannot move right or left. Okay, the madhab is a guide for you to better understand or to easier understand the precepts of the Quran and Sunnah. That is what Imam Shafi'i and Abu Hanifa and Imam Malik and Imam Ahmed Muhammad, may Allah have mercy on all of them. This is what they came to teach us. They came to teach us how to understand the Quran and Sunnah. But never did anybody expect that you must stay within one madhab like, you know, 100% where you're not able to waver even right or left. I give a scenario. If you go to Makkah, for example, and you take hudu according to the Shafi'i school, and you follow his rules in terms of the breaking of the hudu, etc. On another program, we discussed that even if you unintentionally touched the skin of another woman, then your hudu will be invalidated. Now, imagine you are making hudu. How many times are you going to touch someone? Right? Most likely all the time. So if that is the case, then most likely you will have to take hudu all the time. According to Imam Shafi'i's rules, you'll have to take wudu even if it is 20, 30 times, you will have to repeat it all the time. In this case, we say, no, there is another madhab, the, Shah, the Hanafi and the Maliki madhab that is a bit more lenient on the issue. And certainly the examples that is given by the questioner, that if it is for handing children and if it is for not being able to bend down and the husband drives the feet, by the way, that is a very commendable act. Uh, we must congratulate the husband for doing such beautiful, kind acts to his, to his wife, uh, inshallah. And, and these are things that, alhamdulillah, the deen is easy about. There's no issue for you to make taqlid to the other madhab as far as these things are concerned, especially if there is a reason to do it. I mean, you're not doing it simply because you're just choosing the easier path out or mm-hmm. a path out or you just want to, out of convenience, go for the easiest route. You're not doing it for that ma- for that reason, but it's, you're doing it for a legitimate or a, an excuse that is quite plausible. And in such a case, there is no, no problem as far as I know in terms of making taqlid to, to another madhab. And just to say also, when you say you make taqlid to another madhab, there's no procedure involved. Some people, I was already asked the question, so what, you know, what must be your niyyah when you make taqlid? You know, there's no niyyah to make taqlid, oh, okay. etc. It's just knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. having the knowledge of the other school of thought, having full knowledge of what the other madhab states.
Mm. And following that, that is taqlid. There is no procedure involved as such. And so it would be permissible to do that, inshallah. Inshallah. Shukran, Sheikh, uh, for that. We need to break for our waqt of Maghrib, inshallah. We'll come back with more of your questions on questions and answer forums. Stay with us. Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape. The Voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We're in our last segment of this edition of Questions and Answers. I'm Khawa Solomon, and with me is uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Wiss. Once again, uh, Sheikh being the resident imam. At the Yusufia Masjid in Weinberg, answering your questions. Uh, let's go right into it. Salams. I have neglected to repay my fast for many years, and I've now started to fast it in. May I fast Sunnah fast, uh, like in Shawwal, or must I first fast all must um, fast of the years missed? Shukran, Sheikh. Yeah, in this case, uh, obviously your fart and your compulsory fast will take preference to everything else because those are fasts that you owe uh, that needs to be done as soon as possible. So in this case, you should not do any sunnah fast. And if it is big days where people normally do sunnah fast, you do your fart fast on those days. And inshallah, by virtue of the fact that you're doing it on those days, Inshallah, Allah will give you the reward for that as well. Inshallah. There's no problem. If you do it, let's say it's the day of Arafah and you know other people are fasting sunnah fast there. What you do is you make your niyyah for your fart fast. But if it coincides with the days that other people are fasting, Inshallah, don't worry. Allah Ta'ala will give, uh, give, uh, give reward. But we should uh, take care of the fart before we take care of the sunnah. Because remember, the fart is something that you cannot uh, wish away or that uh, it won't fall away. So if anything should happen to you, uh, may Allah give you a long life. But if something should happen to you, then of course you've know, you know you've tried your best to cover your tracks as far as the fart is concerned. And that is what should be done. And the sunnah's uh, fasting should be put on hold for a while. Until you are comfortable that you have completed uh, uh, the fart that is owing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shukran, Sheikh. Assalam. If a person salahs with a burqa uh, that is over your hands, can you make salah like this? Yeah, there is nothing wrong to make salah with a burqa over the hands. Uh, of course, uh, the, the, the hand, obviously, when you go into sujood, the only thing is when you go into sujood, obviously the hand must be on the ground. It must not rest on the burqa or anything that moves with you. It must be on the ground. It doesn't have to be exposed as such. I mean, you can have gloves on, for example, and still make salah like that. There's no problem. But it must be on the ground. So let's say your burqa is a long one and you go down into sujood and it, it just happens that when you go into sujood, your hands are just going to be on your burqa. When you make sujood, then that is not that is not allowed. You're not allowed to make salah on anything other than the ground, right? With your seven parts, obviously, which would be your knees, your feet, uh, your hands, as well as your forehead. Okay, that has to be on the ground. And out of those seven parts, the only part that has to be exposed when touching the ground is your forehead. Okay, the other parts doesn't have to be exposed. In other words, you can have socks on, it's still touching the ground, it's fine. If you have gloves on, it's still touching the ground, it's fine. The only part out of the seven that has to actually touch the ground with your bare skin is your forehead. Your forehead must never be covered with anything. Okay, right? So your scarf has to be over. The scarf has to be slightly up so that at least the forehead is touching the ground. Okay, that is uh, the way that it should be. So to make salah with a burqa, there's no problem at all as long as we make sure that the hands touch the ground when we go into a mode of sujood. Shukran, Sheikh. The next question, Assalamu alaikum. I just wanted to know if the name Zaha or Zoha is Arabic and what's the meaning and the correct spelling of it, uh, Kanala? 
Yeah, the word uh, zaha, uh, the verb, there's a verb, zaha, yazhu. And this verb, zaha, yazhu, it is Arabic. Uh, it means to uh, to blossom, it means to uh, to be radiant, it means to be uh, shining, uh, etc. Uh, normally, a plant that is blossoming, you will use this particular word to say that the flowers are coming out, it's blossoming. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you can also use it in a sense of thriving, something that thrives, that is uh, thriving and that is succeeding. Doing well. Okay. Doing well, yeah. So, zaha, yazhu. So, the, the proper word would not be zuha but it will be zaha with a fatha zahaun with a hamza at the end so you will spell it in arabic you will spell it za ha alif hamza za ha alif hamza so you, you it's a long sound zaha zaha so in english or in latin letters you will most probably spell it z a h double a z a h double a and zaha would obviously be the noun so if the verb is to be radiant, then of course the noun is radiance. Okay? So zaha would be radiance, it would be thriving, it would be uh, blossoming. Okay? So it's a beautiful name, it's a good name to give, especially to a girl. If you want to give that name, uh, it's a good name, inshallah. Okay. Sheikh, the next question is, Assalamu alaikum, Imam, is it right for a mother to force her son to get married to his ex again because he really doesn't want to? Yeah, no, of course a mother should not uh, force her son to get married uh, to someone that he is unhappy with. Uh, yeah, it is a matter of uh, perhaps the husband uh, or the son here knowing uh, what he was in when he was married to this woman. And he's maybe got certain experiences which is uh, unpleasant to him. And although it is, it's always nice to, to, to keep our parents happy. Right, mm. We must try our utmost to satisfy our parents and to keep them happy. But in this case, what he should do is he should uh, speak nicely to his mommy and explain to her why exactly he doesn't want to go back to his wife. And if he has strong enough reasons, then his mother should understand. Okay, But if it is, of course, that he is not, he's being simple or he's being narrow-minded or he's being uh, inconsiderate, let's say there's children, for example, and this could be the case. I make out this could be the case. The mother is perhaps more worried about the fact that these children, and now maybe separation will cause the children now to grow up with a, uh, with a broken home it's, uh, and stuff like that. So if the, the husband has got no real good reason not to go back to the wife, and the mother is strongly encouraging that, and there's nothing that he can really prove that he's standing between him and getting married to his ex-wife, then he should most probably listen to his mother. Right? There's always, for me, I, I just say simply, there's always barakah in doing what your, your parents wish you to do. Because as you're doing whatever you're doing, they make dua for you. Right? A parent will never uh, look down on his child. They will always be making dua for you. So if there is nothing that stands between you and getting married uh, with, with your ex-wife, there's no real strong reason for you, there, and, you and you are able to, to, to keep your mother happy, then do that. Because then you will be gaining also the blessings of Allah in the process. Mm. But on the other hand, if you have strong reasons, let's say you definitely don't want to get married to her because of some real serious things that happened in the past, mm. okay, then you simply go to your mother and with the utmost respect and love, you tell her how you feel and say to her, look, mommy, I cannot get married to her because of X, Y, and Z. And this is my reasons and I'm not being disrespectful to you. And I'm not uh, overlooking your decisions or what you want me to do, but it's just the fact that uh, in this case, it's, I'm not able to do it simply because it will put me in quite a difficult position. And the mother also should understand, because after all, it's not the mother that is going to live with the wife, Mm-mm. but it's the son that's going to have to be put up with the wife. Okay. Okay? And unfortunately, some people's character are such, they, they are just unbearable. 
okay, that is now just the cut and dry of the situation. Sometimes mm. people are just unbearable. So the mother may not know the, the ins and outs of how the situation really is at home, mm. and the son may have experience of this. So in that case, if there's strong reasons, the mother should also be understanding in this case and not at all force the son to get married to his ex-wife. Shukran, Sheikh. Unfortunately, we have to end off there. Uh, we appreciate um, Sheikh for uh, allowing us the time um, to answer the questions and availing, rather availing himself to answer your questions. And inshallah, join us again next week, same time, same place, between 6 and 7 on questions and answers. Uh, Sheikh, Jazakallah khair to you and um, salama travel back home and salams to your family. Jazakumullah khairan. Shukran so much to you also, Sister Hawa, and to all our listeners for listening attentively and for being part of this program. And we greet them until we meet again. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Yes, and from myself, I hope you are safe wherever you are. Buckle up and uh, keep that following distance. Um, I will chat to the listeners again on Thursday. Uh, Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and a very good evening.